Welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. We hope today's message encourages you and strengthens your walk with God. Enjoy the message. We're going to pick up kind of where Pastor Bobby left off um, in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 6. 2 Samuel chapter 6 verse 3. Now just in case you weren't here on Sunday, nobody point fingers, but just in case you weren't here on Sunday, a quick refresher um, of where we pick up. Uh, we, this is after, uh, shortly after David has been become king over Israel. And one of the first things that he does, one of the really first priorities that he has is to bring back the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. See, before that, and we talked about this on Sunday, but for 20 years, uh, the, the Ark um, was not in Jerusalem. And so David went out to go get it and return it into Jerusalem. That's one of the first things he did because for 20 years it was in the, in the house of Abinadab. Um, and so this is where we pick up. Uh, really picture, here's the context. Picture David so excited and eager to get God's presence, the Ark of the Covenant, back into Jerusalem. And he is picking up the Ark in chapter 6. And that's where you pick up in verse 3. Now we are reading a little bit, but who knows? There's no such thing as too much Word of God. Amen? So uh, if you haven't got a workout yet, you're going to stand for about two and a half minutes, but it's okay. We'll survive. Verse 3. It says, So they set the ark of God on a new cart. Everybody say a new cart. I think it's funny that the Bible mentions that it was new. So I just think it was funny. Is that a new cart, not just any cart, but a new cart, and brought it out to the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Oio, uh, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart, and they brought it out to the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill accompanying the ark of God. And Oio went before the ark. Then David and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord on all kinds of instruments of firwood, on harps, on string instruments, on tambourines, on sistrums, and on cymbals. Um, today's age, they would have an electric guitar. I would be playing the, the cymbal. That's about all I can play. Verse 6, it says, And when they came to Nikon's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it. For the oxen stumbled. Uzzah grabbed out and he touched the ark of God. Verse 7. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah. And, struck, and God struck him there for, for his heir. And he died there by the ark of God. David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah. And he called the name of that place Perez Uzzah to this day. David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me David was once so eager to get it back but now all of a sudden he's eager to get it away verse 10 so David would not move the ark of the Lord with him into the city of David but David took it aside into the house of Obed-Edom uh, the Gittites uh, this past Sunday Pastor Bobby really dived into that and so if you if you missed it go back and watch it on Sunday uh, the, from the message from this past Sunday Verse 11, the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, uh, the Gittite, for three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. Everybody say, all his household. His whole family was blessed. This is something to encourage, even if you're a son, a daughter, if you're a mom or a dad. If you're in the household, just know that your yes could change everybody's lives in your household. Because when you say yes to God, it doesn't just limit to your life, but now you can be a, a, a corridor for others to receive God's blessing. Who knows that just in the, this, that fact in itself is reason enough for you to pursue after God because now you're saying this isn't just about me but my household so if I say yes to him then maybe eventually they will say yes because of my yes now it was told King David saying that the Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God so David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with gladness and so it was when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces that he sacrificed oxen and fed the sheep. Then David danced before the Lord with all his might. Everybody say all his might. With all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. 
So David and all, his, and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpets. The title for tonight is this, The Pathway of Worship. The Pathway of Worship. Let's pray over tonight together. Father, we thank you for what you're doing in this house, God. We thank you, Father, that we have gathered today, God, to prioritize your presence, to prioritize, God, us elevating your name. So, God, right now we break every distraction. We break any tiredness. We break anything that's trying to come against your will tonight. But we say let freedom reign. Let your peace reign. Let your spirit begin to pour out. Let us begin to be receptive to the spirit of God, that our minds are open and our, our hearts are soft, ready to receive. Because, Father, if we have the heart to believe, you have the power to, God, uh, give to us tonight for us to leave this place, not the same, but changed by the Spirit of God. We love you so much, Jesus. And everybody says, amen, amen. Give Jesus a hand clap of praise tonight. And y'all can be seated. Thank y'all for, for standing. Thank y'all for standing. I wanted to start off tonight just real quickly um, going over the Ark of the Covenant and really why the Ark of the Covenant was so prominent, was so powerful. I believe we have a picture. There it is. If you look at this picture, you will see the Levites carrying the Ark of the Covenant. And the reason why it was so such a big deal to get the Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem is because the Ark represented God's presence. It represented the favor of God, the spirit of God. It represented God's presence. And so the people of Israel wanted and desired to have uh, the Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem. And if you, again, have been with us for uh, at least the last six months or so, we have gone over the contents of the Ark of the Covenant before. If you want to go deeper into that, you can look it up on YouTube. But in the Ark of the Covenant, it had three, um, three items inside of it. It had uh, the, the stone tablets with the Ten Commandments written on it. It had the rod of Aaron, of, uh, of Aaron and then it had a, a cup of manna, a golden cup of manna. But what represented by the Ark of, of God, by the Ark of the Covenant, was that wherever the Ark of the Covenant was, quite literally, God was with it. it. It was the presence of God. It was the favor of God. It was such a big deal and that Israel constantly had this almost cycle, if you read Scripture, to when they were able to honor God correctly and when they were able to have the ark of God in their correct possession, they were blessed. When they had the presence of God in, the, in their lives, when they were honoring God the right way, when they were being obedient, you will read about how Israel walked in blessings and favor and how quite literally the world was in awe of what Israel was able to do. And when that season took place, it was all because of the presence of God that was in their country. But the presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant, was such a big deal to them that, and it was such a holy thing, that the Ark of the Covenant, when was placed in the most holy, holy place in the tabernacle, that the Ark of the Covenant can only be approached by the high priest once a year. And it was such a, a rare occurrence, but it was such a powerful thing that took place. And it was, it, the high priest would go in there on the Day of Atonement, and he would go in there and begin to atone and begin to sat, sacrifices to God to atone for the sins of Israel that year. And that was the one time that somebody could truly enter the, the powerful, holy place that is the presence of God. And even just that, even this, that, that most rare occurrence, even this, that one moment was powerful enough to take care of all of Israel. Just that one moment with God of one person once a year was able to change the lives of millions of people. And even as powerful as it was for the people of Israel, can I encourage you with this? Now you and I, because of the new covenant and because of what Jesus has done, no longer is the presence of God restricted to a box. 
No longer is now do we have to be looking from the outside in, wondering what it would be like to be in the presence of the Creator. No longer are it's, it's us are are feels like outsiders really to the holiness and the, to the righteousness of God. But because of what Jesus has done, no longer is his presence refrained to the box. But here's an awesome thing. His presence is now on the inside of us. And now you and I are able to experience that same type of power, that same type of favor, that same type of, of, of really God's provision, the same way how he met all of Israel's need is the same way how he can meet our needs, but in a whole better way. Because before sin restricted people from entering the presence of God, but now you and I, by the, by the blood of Jesus Christ, we are now righteous in the eyes of the Father, and we can freely, everybody say freely, we can freely enter the presence of God. Let me tell you this. If y'all were all from, if y'all all Jewish people 2,500 years ago, y'all would be losing y'all's minds right now. I'll be like, wait, hold on, wait, hold up. I can be in the presence of God whenever I want? I, I, just by the utterance of the name above all names, I'm able to enter into the presence of, who, of, of God who created everything? But I think what happens is that you and I, we can become so familiar with the presence of God that we forget to prioritize the presence of God the way it needs to be. Or, or, or we take it so common that we forget to treat God's presence as the powerful, as the, as the most uh, valuable thing it truly is. And that's what we're going to be talking about tonight is because David now had the presence of God, had the ark of the covenant with them, but because they mishandled and took it for common and they weren't able to prioritize it the way it was supposed to, they weren't able to experience the favor that God's presence is supposed to bring. In the same way, if you're in God's presence and you treat God common, can I tell you, you're going to have a hard time attaining God's peace and joy in your life. If you treat God's presence in a way of saying, oh, well, you know, there's all, I, you know, I can always pray tomorrow. Or there's all, I'll be in church next week. And thinking that it's, it's, it's a common, convenient thing. We're going to miss out on what God has for us. But if we treat God's presence the way it's supposed to be treated, who knows we're going to experience everything that God wants us to have. Amen. We're going to be stepping into God's purpose and promises for our life because we treat God's presence the way we're supposed to. So we're going to pick up in 2 Samuel chapter 6, and we're going to look into all the, or look back, really, we read it, but we're going to look back and see what David did the first mistake he made, but then what David did to correctly prioritize and to, and to treat God's presence. Second Samuel chapter 6, verse 5, it says this. It says, Then David and all of the house of Israel played music before the Lord on all kinds of instruments, on firwood, on harps, on string instruments, on electric guitars, on cymbals, on all the, all the things. They had everything. They had the whole orchestra. They had a concert. They had all the fancy instruments. They had all the nice things. They had, they had all the lights, right? They had the, the smoke coming from the sides. They had all the cool things that you're supposed to have. But you want to know something I have learned about worshiping God? I have learned that it, it has a whole lot less to do about the quality of the equipment than it does about the content of your heart. It has a whole lot less to do about how good you can sing, how good you can play guitar, or how good you can do this or that. And it has a whole lot more to do about how the posture of your heart is towards God. 
Because see, they are have, they have this whole orchestra. They're leading in the, the ark. They are they are they think that them by having all these instruments, and by them having this whole orchestra, by them having this beautiful sound, then that's going to be the correct way to handle the presence of God. But they missed it. Because in the same way, if we think that us worshiping together is gathering together and listening to some really good music that sounds awesome, then we missed it. That's why here at Riverside Church, we're, we're so intentional about when we have our worship service. You can talk to the worship team. They know. Because we tell them each and every week, we tell them that when we get up here, when they get up here, it's not about the talents. It's not about how good you can sing. It's not about how good you can hit keys and notes. It's all about the posture of heart that you have towards God because that's what's going to bring the anointing. That's what's going to honor God's presence. That's what's going to bring in an atmosphere where people are going to be able to experience the spirit of God and experience healings, deliverances. Has anybody been touched by worship in this house before? I don't know about you, but during times of worship, and I'm not biased, it's because my wife is Haley. But during times of worship, there will be times where I have lost myself and God has helped me and I just began to worship and I just felt God's presence so strongly. And that is something that doesn't happen by accident. That doesn't happen by default. Because we encourage the team all the time and we say, look, we would much rather have one person on the piano but has the anointing than have a full orchestra and all the fancy instruments and lights but no anointing. Because if there's no anointing, if there's no, if there's no spirit of God in this place, and that's not worship, that's a concert. And what I think was happening here is that they were treating the ark of God not the way it was supposed to, but they thought since they had all the fancy instruments, it would make up the difference. That doesn't make up the difference. They were having a concert, but they weren't worshiping. Verse 6. It says, then when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put his hand uh, to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him. Everybody say, God struck him. God struck him there for his error, and he died there by the ark of God. Every time I've read this, I'm like, I've always thought, like, man, poor Uzzah, right? Poor Uzzah. Pastor Bobby went into this deeper on Sunday again. I'm not going to give all the details what he gave, um, but Uzzah was the son of Abinadab where the Ark of the Covenant was. And if he was truly trained the right way, he would not have treated God's Ark as common. But I, I think what happens over 20 years of you growing up with the Ark of the Covenant in your living room, you begin to take things for common, right? And so he touched it, and he did two things drastically wrong that God commanded not to do in Scripture. The first thing that they, they were doing wrong is that they were carrying the Ark in the wrong way. As you remember what we read, it says that they, they, they got a new cart, right? That's what Scripture said. They got a new cart, and they put the Ark of the Covenant here. But Exodus 25, 13 says this. This is God telling them how. This is God giving them the directions. I don't know how more God can be direct than this. This is God literally giving them the recipe, the instructions, and they still messed up. In Exodus 25, 13, he tells them this. He says, make poles from acacia wood and overlay them with gold. Insert the poles into the rings at the sides of the ark to carry it. These carrying poles must stay inside the, the rings and never remove them. God was saying for you to, to transport the ark, it wasn't, you don't put it on a cart. You don't drag it. You don't roll it. You carry it. And he gave exact instructions on how to do that. So that's the first thing they did wrong. The second thing they did wrong was Numbers 4.15. And Numbers 4.15, see, and the second thing they did, he touched the ark. And that was a big no-no. This is a, this is a, um, in this verse, it says this, The camp will be ready to move when Aaron and his sons have finished covering the sanctuary and all the sacred articles. Right now in Scripture, we're picking up, they're moving the, the ark right now, God's telling them how to, how to move it. 
But he said the cold lights will carry these things to the next destination, but they must not touch. Everybody say touch. They must, must not touch the sacred objects or they will die. They will die. So God was very, very clear and concise about what to do. Have you ever heard this excuse be given to you? Or, shoot, you might have gave this excuse to yourself. When you made a mistake and be like, man, well, God wasn't really clear what was wrong or what was right. You know, like I, like I was guessing, you know. But I've learned that every time I've made a mistake or any time I did something that I wasn't supposed to do, every time I was able to go into Scripture and I was able to see and God would make it clear what was right and what was wrong. We serve a God who is the spirit of truth, not the spirit of confusion. So when you read his word and when you pray to him, he's going to tell you the truth. He's going to tell you what is wrong and what is right. So if you have an excuse to yourself or you hear somebody try to tell you, well, God's not really clear on that. So kind of just like, you know, flip a coin and choose what you want. No, no, no. God makes it clear. And if anybody is confused about what is right or what is wrong, can I encourage you what to do? Go to the Word of God, read the Word of God, and begin to pray for direction from God. And I'm telling you, God is going to tell you what to do. God makes it clear. He's, he, uh, he always makes it clear. But do you want to know what Uzzah means? Yes? Okay. Just making sure. We could have skipped this if y'all said no. Uzzah means strength or secure. That's what Uzzah means. And when I began to think about that, Uzzah is a pretty cool name. But it means strength or secure. And I think maybe what Uzzah made, did wrong is that he began to put, put more faith in his name than God's name. Because his name meant strength, and if somebody just calls you strong every day, because that's literally his name, you're going to one day think, man, I must be pretty strong. His name was meaning strength. I think that got to his head because then he was then able to convince himself that he was strong enough to carry the presence of God on his own. That on his own, by mere human strength, he was capable and able to handle the power, the presence, the righteousness, the mightiness of God. That by his humanity alone, he's able to hold God and contain him. But how you and I are able to be temples of the Holy Spirit can I tell you, it's not by our strength that we're able to be temple of the Holy Spirit. That it wasn't because Uzzah, or it wasn't because we're so much better than Uzzah that now we're able to, to, to contain the Holy Spirit and be carriers of the Holy Spirit. It's not because we're so much stronger than Uzzah. You want to know what Uzzah's problem was? Uzzah's problem was that he was born way too early. He didn't have Jesus. And since he didn't have Jesus, he had sin in his life that couldn't be atoned. And when sin touches something that is as holy as God, God's holiness will begin to judge that sin the way it judged all of us when Jesus went to the cross and he died. Why? Because he didn't have Jesus atoning for his sin. But you and I, we are able to now be carriers of the Holy Spirit, not because you're strong. If you think, well, because I read the whole Bible, so, you know, I'm able to just carry the whole, no. Or, oh, I've been in church for so long, no. The reason why we are now temples of the Holy Spirit is because Jesus died on the cross. He, he bore the pain and he bore the price that we couldn't afford. And now because of what he went through and by the shedding of his blood, we are now covered. And now we are now righteous in the eyes of the Father to where now we are carriers of the Holy Spirit. Where now we are carriers of God's presence. And it's not because we are strong. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this. It says, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin." For us, 
That way we might become the righteousness of God in him. We are made righteous not because of our strength, not because of our works, not because of anything we did right. We are righteous because God sent his son to this earth to die for our sins. And when we accept him and when we claim him as Lord over our lives and ask for forgiveness, guess what? Now we are made righteous in the eyes of the Father. We can now enter into the presence of God. And it's not because we are strong. It's because Jesus is strong. Amen. Well, let's just celebrate Jesus for a little bit. Thank you, thank you, God, for sending your son and saving us. But let's look back at David. Now let's turn it back to David. We're talking about Uzzah. Let's look at David. Why would David, because we've got to remember, David is, he is now, oh, he's now king over Jerusalem or over Israel. He has shortly been king for maybe theologians, say less than a year for sure. It hasn't been that long. He's, in, he's early in his reign. Why would David purposefully break the commands of God? Because here's, as, as a king over Israel, you're supposed to read and know Scripture, okay? So he knew the commands of God. So why would David purposely break the commands of God, put the ark and treat it in a way that God said not to treat his presence? Why would David purposefully do that why would he take the ark and instead of it being carried on the shoulders of levites he put it on the new cart and rolled it why would he purposely break god's command when i was thinking about this the only thing i could really come up with put my my mind in what where david was at because you gotta remember this is early in david's reign right he's very eager to to do something, to get it done. And one of the first things that he wanted to get done is to get the Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem. So I can see David seeing with the eagerness, with his impatience, and saying this. Basically, it will be more convenient and quicker for me to put the Ark of the Covenant on a cart than on the back of some old men, right? And out of convenience, he chose to take a shortcut. Even though it was God's will to return the Ark of the Covenant back to, to, back to Jerusalem, because David tried to take a shortcut in God's will, he missed out. When he did that, he missed out on what God was trying to do in his life. Has anybody ever tried to take a shortcut in God's will? Just me? Okay. Because sometimes you can convince yourself of convenience and say, God, I see, I, I see where you want me to go. I, I see what you are directing me to do. But if I do this, I can get there quicker. If I do this, if I cut some corners, if I take a shortcut, I can get there quicker and sooner and faster. And because David took a shortcut... Quite literally, you know what shortcuts do? Shortcuts do what it says it does. It cuts you short. You take a shortcut, you're going to be cutting yourself short of God's best in your life. If you take a shortcut in your marriage, if you take a shortcut in your business, if you take a shortcut with, with your family, if you take a shortcut with your relationship with God, it's going to be leaving you short of God's best in your life. But you got to be careful because the enemy will try to convince you of convenience so quickly. He will try to convince you that if you do this, you'll get there quicker. If you do that, you'll get there sooner. If you do this, you'll be able to attain what God wants for you faster. But let me tell you this. The only way to get to God's will is by doing it his way. Period. The only way to getting God's purpose is by following his plan. Period. So if you have something in your mind of saying, God, I see the goal. Let me do it my way. Let me save you some heartbreak right now. Say, God, I don't want to take any shortcuts. Because I don't know about you, but I don't want to be cut short of anything that God has for my life. I don't want to look back when I get to heaven and then God tell me, look, you, you did so many good things, but I had so much more for you. But because you were impatient, because you were convinced of convenience, because you tried to get things the fast and easy way, there were so many more that I had in store, but you cut yourself short 
because he took shortcuts. Turn to neighbor, neighbor and say, no more shortcuts. No more shortcuts. So both David, if you see, both David and Uzzah treated the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, too commonly. And because they treated God too commonly, they missed out on the blessings and the favor that God's presence provides. In the same way, if we treat God too commonly, if we treat his presence in a way that treats it as a casual relationship with God, if we treat when we come, when we gather together like we are tonight, when we gather, when we, when we go into our prayer closet, when we go and spend time with God, if we treat that moment as common and as casual, we're going to be missing out on what God has for us. But this is what point one is for tonight. Don't worry, we're going to get through the other two really quick. This is point one, is that we must have reverence. Everybody say reverence. We must have reverence for God's presence. We must have reverence for God's presence. We must treat God's presence with the respect and admiration that God's presence deserves. We must treat God's presence the way that it should be treated. Here's what I think about it whenever I feel myself slipping into convenience and comfortability. Because let me say this. Because once again, these things don't happen by default or on its own. These things don't happen without us first being intentional about it. So whenever I feel my mind slipping and I'm praying and I, and, I, and I start thinking about different things, you know what gets me back in order? I begin to think about how valuable God's presence really is. I begin to think about how quite literally God's presence is the most valuable thing on earth, period. You want to know why? Because God's presence is the only thing not from this earth. God's presence comes, from comes down from heaven to earth. So quite literally, when you are in God's presence, you are in the most valuable place on earth. More valuable than money. More valuable than possessions. More valuable than time. You're in the most valuable place on earth. So the next time you're in your prayer closet, the next time you're worshiping God, and you begin to feel yourself drifting away, and you begin to think, begin to remind yourself how valuable, how powerful, and how awesome the presence of God is. And I'm telling you, if you begin to think about it, you'll begin to respond to it, and you'll begin to worship the way you're supposed to. You'll begin to pray the way you're supposed to. You'll begin to have that perspective the way you're supposed to, because that is what God's presence deserves reverence having that respect for God and not treating him casually thank you Jesus second Samuel chapter 6 verse 8 so they treat God's presence casually Heard it before, right? And they became a casu casualty, right? Ooze is dead. If there's a way to wake you up, it's for you to ha be having a little concert, having that orchestra, and all of a sudden you're like, ah, zap, oh my gosh, Ooze is dead. We did something wrong, right? So they're having this moment, they're having this concert, they think they're doing everything right, and then God strikes Uza, he dies. And then this is what David says. It says, verse 8, that David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah. And he called the name of the place Perez Uzzah to this day. Now, I don't think David was angry at God. I think David was more angry at himself. Because he knew better. He knew better. And he was angry at himself because his mistake cost somebody's life. Because he's the king, remember, when it comes, when it's all said and done, it falls on the king. He's responsible for his people. And because of his mistake, because of him choosing convenience, it costs somebody their life. And he called that place Perez Uzzah. Now, every time I see Perez in the Bible, I'm like, there's the Hispanics, amen. <laughs> but that wasn't where it, and you want to want to know what it actually means again? 
Remember, Uzzah means strength. What Perez means is to break or to breach. To break or to breach. Quite literally, David called that place. He said, we're calling this place where Uzzah died. We're calling it where we're broken strength. Where the strength of humanity was humbled by God's presence. Where the strength of humanity, thinking that they had it all together, thinking that we were able on our own to handle the presence of God, treating God's presence as common, because of that, they were humbled. And Uzzah died. Broken strength. And David himself was humbled. David was angry at himself. And David had a choice. See, David, had, he, he could have easily said this. He could have said, you know what? Somebody died because of the Ark of the Covenant. So I don't want that anywhere near me again. And he could have left it at the house of Abinadab for the rest of time. He could have said, because of my mistake and regret, he could have stayed in that place. And he could have never learned from his mistake. He could have lived in his mistake. David could have lived in that mistake the rest of his life, being like, yeah, you know, I know God wanted me to take the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem, but I made a mistake. So there's no way I can correct it. He could have lived in his mistake. He could have lived in that regret. But really, the reality is, it's not rather or not we will ever make a decision we regret. It's rather or not we're going to respond the way we need to. It's not rather or not we're going to make a mistake, because who knows we are. But it's rather or not we're going to live in that mistake or learn from that mistake. And that's what we're going to ask ourselves. Because there's another thing you got to be careful of, is that the enemy will convince you to live in a place that you're supposed to just learn from. He will say, because you made that mistake, you are now a mistake for the rest of your life. Because you didn't do what you're supposed to do, you're going to be in that place for the rest of your life. Hey, you had the chance, David. Hey, you had the chance, David. You had the opportunity. But because, David, you made that mistake, guess what? You're never going to bring the Ark of the Covenant where it belongs. You're never going to bring the Ark back to Jerusalem. And the enemy could have convinced them to live in that mistake. But instead, David learned from his mistake. And really, that's the same choice that we have. Is that if we just choose to say, God, I messed up, forgive me, I learned from it. That's the key word, right? I learned from it, amen. Forgive me for what I've done, but I'm going to learn from this mistake and I'm going to move on. I'm going to move forward. Because regret can either be something that leaves you looking at what could have been, or it can be said, you know what, I'm going to look forward of what could be. I'm going to look forward to what God could do in my life. Not look at the past mistakes, but I'm going to look forward to what God is able to do. Not because I'm going to get everything right, but because God is that powerful. God is that mighty. God is bigger than my biggest mistake. It doesn't matter what I've done. If I learn from it and not just live in it, I'm going to be able to move on from it. Amen? So David learned from his mistake. Two scriptures I want us to read real quickly. First Chronicles 15, 13 says this. This is in the same passage of, 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 of the story in, in First Chronicles. David said, because the Levites, it's funny he said, you Levites. It was his decision. But he said, because you Levites did not carry the ark the first time, the anger of the Lord God burst out against us because we failed to ask God how to move it properly. So right there, David acknowledged his mistake and he said, no, I'm going to learn from it. Then jumped to 2 Samuel 6, 13. And so they bring the ark back. And so it was when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed oxen and the, and the fatted sheep. Again, Pastor Bobby went into more details about this. And, and we've talked about this in, in greater detail as well. But every six paces, David made a sacrifice, and really there's so many things that could go into that. But what I took from it, in this moment, I said, man, David's going really slow. Because here goes David from trying to go really fast. He said, I'm going to put this thing on a new cart with a V8, 
and we're gonna we're gonna get on the freeway and we're gone. He went from trying to go really fast to now going really slow. Every six paces, I didn't even have time to look up how long that would take, but I bet you it was a long time. Every six paces, he would stop, and he would make a sacrifice to God, and he would praise, and he would worship. Because David learned this. David learned, I would much rather go slow with God than fast with sin. He said, I would much rather go slow with God than go fast with sin. Because that's what sin will promise you, right? I'm going to put you on a fast track. That's what sin tries to tell you. I'm going to get you there quicker. I'm going to get you there so you're going to be going so fast. But here's the thing that the enemy doesn't tell you, that if you are going fast in the wrong direction, it doesn't matter how quick you're going because you're going the wrong way. But when you live for God, that's why Scripture says to walk with him. Because when you learn, say, God, I'm just going to, I just want to go slowly with you, God. I want to go day by day. Step by step. I'm not trying to outrun you. I'm not trying to go faster than your will. I'm not trying to make it happen on my own. I'm not trying to. I'm God. I'm cool with going slow with you. I'm cool going, taking it day by day, walking with you. Because I'm telling you, if we learn to do that, especially in today's age that wants, everybody wants to get there tomorrow. But if we learn just to take it day by day, step by step, not worrying about trying to get there so quick. I'm telling you, if we take it day by day, we're going to be where we're supposed to be. If we take it step by step with God, we're going to be where we're supposed to be. But if we try to go our own way, and I know we've all learned this, if we try to go fast in the wrong direction, guess what? We're going to be in the wrong place. But when we just walk with God, and that's what David learned, I'm going to go slow with you, God. I'm going to slow down. That's a key thing today, too. Slow down, please. Sometimes I just want to, when I'm talking to somebody, they're going, telling all these things that, all the problems they have. Hey, I just want to tell them, slow down. I can't even hear your problems right now because you're going so fast. But slowing down is such a key thing because I don't know if you've noticed this because my life can, all of our lives get sped up. But when I learn to slow down and say, God, I could spend the next 10 minutes running around doing things, or I could spend the next 10 minutes slowing down, spending time with you, worshiping your name. And I'm telling you, if we learn to just slow down, Pastor probably says it like this. When you slow down with God, he'll speed you up in his promises and his purposes for your life, where you're supposed to go. Turn to your neighbor and say, slow down, please. Slow down, please. So I bet you can imagine all this scene where David's at. I bet you David at this moment when he is second time now taking God's ark to Jerusalem, I bet you he is very anxious at this moment. Verse 9 said it like this. After the first mistake he made, verse 9 said, 2 Samuel 6, verse 9 said that David was afraid. Everybody say afraid. Said David was afraid of the Lord that day. And I'm going to tell you, it wasn't like the, the fear of God. It was like, oh, my gosh. I'm afraid. <laughs> he was afraid of the Lord that he saw God just kill because of sin. He was afraid of the Lord. And so I can imagine the second time that when David is doing it, I bet you he's thinking, if I don't do this right, I could die. If I don't do this right, man, I, somebody else, even worse, somebody else under my, uh, in my kingdom that I'm responsible for could die if I don't do this right. So you can just imagine the sense of anxiety and the sense of, like, like I need to do this right. The sense of, you know, I, I need to, and I, I can almost imagine him thinking about all those things and, and thinking about all the worries, thinking about all the what ifs, thinking about all the things that could happen. I don't know about you. Have you ever tried to worship God? And in that moment, your mind starts to think about all the things, anxieties and all the stress and all the, is that just me? Like you're, you're worshiping and all of a sudden you're thinking, man, I, I need to fix the dryer, don't I? <laughs> Haley's at the house, but she's been on me for fixing the dryer for, for a while. <laughs> you'd be thinking, and my, the enemy tries to fill your mind with anxieties, with fears, with what ifs, with all the stress. But look at what David did. Look what David did. Second Samuel 6.14. 
In the midst of all these anxieties and stress, this is what he did. It said that David danced. Everybody say danced. Danced before the Lord with all his might. Let me tell you this. Let me tell you this. I have learned, and I saw David, he was not going to allow his anxieties, his fears, and his stress hinder his worship. He wasn't going to allow all the what-ifs stop him from worshiping. He wasn't going to allow all the could-bes, all the what, what ha- what's going to happen with the stock market, what, what, what's going to happen if, if I get laid off, what, what's going to happen if this and that. He, he didn't allow any of that restrict his worship, but instead he said, you know what, the only way I can combat all that is that I better worship right now, and I better worship with all my might. Because I'm telling you, if he would have worshipped halfway in, if he would have worshipped this 25% in, he would have been thinking about all the what-ifs, all the anxieties. He had been thinking about all the fear. In the times of worship, if we're not all the way in, if we're not worshipping with all of our mind, with all of our strength, we're going to allow our mind to wander. We're going to allow our mind to be in. Our hands may be lifted, but our mind's on the bank account. Our hands may be lifted, but our minds are thinking about all the things that could go wrong, that might be going wrong. But when you flip that switch and you're going to say, you know what, in this moment, I'm not giving 25% right now. I'm not giving 75. I'm not giving 99. I'm going to go all out. I'm going to give 100%. And when you do that, your mind begins to clear. When you do that, peace begins to come. When you do that, when you begin to worship, all of a sudden, all the anxieties that felt so heavy, now you're free. And you can't help but dance. I think David, with all his might, began to worship, and that all the weight of the anxiety left, and that lightness caused him to begin to dance, to begin to pray, praise, and begin to worship. His second point. Is that we clear our minds, everybody say our minds. We clear our minds when we worship with all of our heart. We clear our minds when we worship with all of our hearts. You want to know how? And again, Pastor Barbara mentioned this on Sunday too. He talked about detaching ourselves. I remember that. He talked about detaching yourself from the day, detaching yourself from the stress. You know how we're able to do that? It's not by us overthinking it. It's not by us thinking about solutions first and then say, okay, God, let me figure this out. Then I'm going to worship you. It's about us saying, God, I'm going all in for you right now in this moment. I'm not holding anything back. I'm not going to allow myself to even begin to think and wonder about anything else but the name of Jesus Christ, but what your promises are, but what your purpose is. And when you go all in with all your heart, your mind will be clear. I'm telling you, your mind will become clear because we're not called we're not called to casual worship God did not call those who worship when Jesus was talking to the woman at the well he didn't say okay I'm calling the worshipers who worship me in casual and common right he said I'm calling the worshipers who who worship me in spirit and truth we're not called to a casual worship. Now, I'm not saying that you need to get up and dance and run around. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that you need to make sure that you're worshiping with all your might. With all your heart. Leaving nothing back. And that doesn't mean, again, that we have to do things that dancing, because let me tell you, you don't want to see me dance. I can't dance. That doesn't mean that we're supposed to be doing that. what that means. Because if, if, don't be confused because some people have taken it too far and they think the only way that they can worship with all their heart is that they have to sprint around the whole city, right? But no, it's not what you're doing on the outside really, it's what you're doing on the inside. And let me tell you this, there is though a reflection on the outside of what's on the inside. Because it's hard for me to worship all my heart with my hands in my pocket. Let me just tell you that. Okay? It's hard for me to do that. I've tried. I can't do it. And like I said, I'm not a dancer, but, man, I'm a swayer. I will sway all day. 
You don't want to see me dance. But when I'm, hey, if you ever see me swaying in the corner, you know Pastor CJ's in it right now. But when you begin to worship, when you begin to praise, who knows you begin to lose yourself. Who knows you begin to lose yourself in it. And really, that's, that's, the, that's the sweet spot. That's where you want to be. That's where your mind begins to come clear. That's when you draw a circle around yourself and you're not caring what anybody else is saying. You're just worshiping and all of a sudden I'm swaying. Right? And all of a sudden I'm praying. And all of a sudden, I'm praying in the Spirit. Why? Because that is what we're called to do. We're called to worship the name of Jesus with all of our hearts and not in a casual way. So David's dancing. And right after this, when he delivered, we're almost done tonight. Is everybody doing good tonight? Checking my time. After David bringing the ark back to Jerusalem, dancing, going all out for Jesus, he was able to bring the ark of the covenant back where it belongs in Jerusalem. And it says in scripture that everybody was blessed by it. And then he gets home. 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel 6, verse 20. Then he gets home. If you know the story, you know what happens. He gets home. Verse 20 says this, then David returned to bless his household. Man, David came home in a good mood. Now, don't, don't look at your husband or wife right now. Have you ever come home in a good mood, but the spouse isn't? Just me? Okay. I'm just saying Haley's always in a good mood. Haley's always in a good mood, okay? It's me. If she asks anything, it's me. So then David returned to bless his household, and Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, Oh, how glorious was the king of Israel today, uncovering himself today in the eyes of the maids of his servants, as one of the base fellows shamelessly uncovering himself. She was making fun of him. She was calling him out, saying, Look how silly you are. Look how dumb you looked. Look, you made an... an we didn't able to go deeper into this. There's so much in this, in this passage, but it's, Scripture says that he was wearing an ephod like how the Levites wore. But he, he took off his, his robe as a king, and he became a priest. And in the eyes of others, that seemed like, a, like not a promotion, but a demotion, right? I don't even know if it's a word. Went down a lower level in others' eyes and said, look, you're making yourself look foolish. You're making yourself look silly, but this is how David responded so it says so David said to Michael it was before the Lord everybody say the Lord it was before the Lord who chose me instead of your father and all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord and over Israel therefore I will play music before the Lord he was saying this I'm not doing this for you anyways I don't care what you think. It wasn't for you anyways. It was for the Lord. It was, I wasn't dancing to impress you. I wasn't in da dancing to impress anybody. I wasn't worshiping to impress people. I was worshiping before the Lord. See, Michael was embarrassed that David worshiped the way he did. And that's another thing that sometimes, especially people who just get into church or they say, I, man, I really don't want to worship the way I feel I need to because I, I, I feel embarrassed by it. Because then the enemy can almost convince you that if somebody sees you worshiping like a lot, then people are going to be like, man, what did they do? They must have, they're making up for a lot right now. You're, you laugh, but people have told me this. But can I tell you this? It's not about them anyways. That when you're worshiping, you're worshiping before the Lord. That you're not worshiping to impress people. You're not worshiping so people can think, oh, wow, look how cool they are. No, you're worshiping before the Lord. See, Michael, Michael was focused on the opinion of man, but David was focused on the opinion of God. Michael was fearful had the fear of man, David had the fear of God. David said, look, I'm not worried of what others think. You know what I'm worried about? I'm worried of what God thinks about me. 
Because quite frankly, when we pass from this world, we're not going to be met by others who are going to judge us for our sins. We're going to be judged by God. So who cares what others think about us? Because in the end, it doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is what God thinks about you, what God says about you, what God sees your heart at, what God sees how you worship. That's what matters. And when we have that posture of saying, I'm worshiping right now not to impress anybody. I'm not worshiping right now so people can look at me. I'm worshiping right now so that way God sees how the posture of my heart truly is. Because I'm doing it before the Lord. Worship team, you can join me. This is third point for tonight. It's that we need to worship not to be seen by man, but to be seen by God. Worship not to be seen by man, but to be seen by God. Worship not to say Okay, because there's a flip side to both ways. Because there's been people, again, don't look around, please, right? There's been people who worship and lift their hands, not because they're doing it before the Lord, but because they're doing it before man. And they're saying, I want people to see how holy I am. Or I want people to see, you know, and they're doing it in the wrong way. But if we worship, not before man, but before the Lord, and say, God, I'm not doing this right now to impress other people. Again, we've talked about this before, and I say this to myself, but when I worship, I draw a circle around myself. It helps me. I draw an imaginary circle around myself, and I say, you know what? Nothing matters but in this circle right now. And that's just me and God. I might be in a room of hundreds of people. I might be in my office at work, and there's been times I had to pray in the restroom, amen? But if I draw a circle around myself, it's just me and God right now. And we, when we do that and we worship in that way, and I feel God's presence strongly, when we worship in that way and it's bring reverence to his name and say, God, I'm not doing this for people. I'm not doing this to receive uh, possessions. I'm not doing this to impress others. I'm not doing this so that way people can look at me and, and be impressed by me. No, God, I'm doing this before you. I'm drawing a circle around myself. I'm not looking to the left or to my right. I'm looking to you, God. And when we do that, when we do that, I'm telling you, that's treating God's presence the right way. When we do that, we worship in that way, we're treating God's presence the way it's supposed to be treated. And that's not commonly. That's not casually. But that's with all our heart. Amen. Can you stand to your feet tonight? Something I wanted to go over just real quickly. So David was able to have his posture correct. If you follow the story, you will see that David didn't allow himself to live in his mistake, but he learned from his mistake. Sometimes, let me tell you this, do not allow yourself, just because you maybe you've had one bad experience with God, don't allow yourself then to never come back to church. Just because maybe there was one moment to where it wasn't the experience you expected. Don't then say, okay, I'm never going to have the right experience with God. There's been times when people have told me, they say, well, you know, I had a moment, but it didn't happen the way I thought it would happen with God. And so then I just think I, it's not for me. I just think maybe that's for some people. Maybe that's for, for church elders. Maybe that's for prayer partners. But maybe that's not for me. Can I tell you, God's presence and experience of his power is for you. And even right now, God can be transforming you from the inside out. And even right now, God can begin to be moving and begin to be leading and begin to, in a way that man can't create, that man can't replicate, in a way where God's presence calms the storm. And you're able to enter in the most valuable place on earth.
his presence. David brings the ark back. And right after he brings the ark of the covenant back, the next chapter is when God makes his covenant with David about the lineage of where Jesus would come from. In verse, chapter 7, verse 13, it says this. And really, earlier in this verse, David says, God, I want to build you a house. I, I want to even honor you even more. And this is how God responds to David. He said, one will come and he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Everybody say forever. And I will be his father and he shall be my son. And if he commits iniquity, I will task in him with the rod of man and with the blows of the sons of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul, from whom I removed from before you, and your house and your kingdom shall be established forever. Everybody say forever one more time. Forever before you, and your throne shall be established forever. If this is what I want us to catch, is that when he was able to really get in order the presence of God in his life, that's when the promise came. When he was able to bring the ark back into Jerusalem, that's when the covenant came. That's when the, that, it paved the way for God's promise to enter. It paved the way for God's blessings come. When they were carrying the ark, David worshiped in front of it. And his worship, his praise, it paved the way for God's blessings to enter. I'm going to close with this thought, and then we're going to worship together. But we pave a path. Everybody, everybody say a path. We pave a path for God's blessings when we worship him with all of our hearts. When you and I worship God with all of our heart, you want to know what we're doing in the spirit? We are paving a path. We're paving a path for God's blessings, for God's provision, for God's power, for God's promises, for God's purpose to enter our lives. That when we are worshiping him, if we could just see it in the spirit, could you wish sometimes that you could see exactly in the spirit what's going on? I think if you did, we'd be worshiping nonstop. Like if you saw the type of ground you're taking from the enemy when you worship God, we'd be worshiping 24-7, amen? But when we're worshiping God, what we are doing is we are creating pathways in the spirit. We are creating, creating avenues in the spirit for God's blessings and favor and power and provision to come. And I don't know about you, but I need God's blessings in my life. I need God's provision in my life. I need God's power in my life. And there's no way to replicate it. There's no way to duplicate it. The only way for it to be a pathway into our life is with our worship. So with every hand lifted and head bowed right now, I know we went a little longer tonight, but I don't want us to speed past this moment. But right now, can we just begin to draw a circle around ourselves? Right now, can we begin to worship in a way that maybe we've never worshiped before? Can right now we begin to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? If right now, can we just begin to praise Him, to worship Him, to begin to thank Him? Let's make pathways in the Spirit. Let's begin to make avenues in the Spirit right now over our families, over our lives. Come on, let's worship God. We worship you, Father. You're a holy God. You're a holy God. Come on, press in. Press in right now into your worship. Press in right now into your worship. We worship you, God. We worship you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Pray in the Spirit right now. If you have your prayer language, pray in the Spirit.
Worship Him with all your heart. Worship Him with all your mind. Worship Him with everything that you have. We love you, Jesus. We thank you, Father. God's peace is in the atmosphere. We worship you, Father. You're worthy of our praise. Feel that in the atmosphere tonight. We thank you, Jesus. We honor your name. We worship you, Father. We worship you with all of our heart and all of our minds. And God, we're not called just to sing songs out of repetition, but we're called to sing to you, to praise and to worship out of a relationship with the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, that your presence is the most valuable place and thing on earth, God. We worship you in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. If you haven't said yes to Jesus right now, say yes to him. We thank you, Father. If you haven't said yes to him, you're saying, Pastor CJ, I hear what you're saying, but I don't know if I've taken that first step with him right now and just in your own way to say, I love you, Jesus. I need you, Father. I need you in my life. Forgive me for my sins. Forgive me for what I've done. God, I call you Lord and Savior over my life. Just begin to say yes to him in your own way. But just continue to worship him. We're about to be dismissed tonight. We thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe and share it with a friend. For more information about who we are, visit RiversideChurchTX.com.